is Alan from Dread Sovereign, Primordial, and a whole bunch of other things. And you are listening to Interview Under Fire. All right, everyone, welcome back to another brand new edition of Interview Under Fire. As usual, this is your host, Sonny, along with my current guest, Alan Averill. Thank you so much for joining our podcast today on IUF. This is an important, yet still, exciting time coming up at the start of the new year in 2021. Feels weird to already even say that number. And for you and the guys over at Dread Sovereign with the release of your third studio album, Alchemical Warfare, which comes out January 15th on Metal Blade Records. You know, Alan, first off, I want to say congratulations on all the well-deserved recognition it's been getting so far, especially with the video that dropped for Nature is the Devil's Church. You know, sure. before we get to all that, Alan, I'm going to ask you a very important question to start things off. It's a very simple one, but I think it's an important one to ask, considering where we are in our lives at this point. How are you, man? How's life in Ireland? Um, bad. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's it's very complicated. Uh, it's, um, well, <clears throat> I think in nine months, our uh, society has been more or less turned on its head. Um, we yeah. just come out of five stage five lockdown about a week and a half ago. So people are being given a little bit of humanity back. Not much, but a little. Um, and I'm pretty sure we'll go back into lockdown regardless of whatever numbers are happening um, in January. And I don't know. There doesn't seem to be any plan, any um, people, you know, politicians, institutions of the state just making it up on the fly. Yeah. Um, there's no art. Obviously, there's no expression, no comedy, theater, music, nothing like this. Um, so, yeah, I mean, this hangs over literally everything. I mean, to be honest, even talking about music during this seems a little bit frivolous to me, but uh, here we are. Um, no offense meant, but um, <laughs> it's okay. yeah, it's, um, it's very strange. It's, it's, it's very dystopian. It's very Orwellian. Um, you know, Ireland is one of the oldest sitting democracies in the world that never encountered fascism or communism. Um, and, you know, a month ago I drove or cycled to my parents' place and saw 15 police cars, seen people being beaten in the streets. Um, it's very, very strange and it's very worrying. And I think anybody who isn't worried should be really. Yeah. And I <laughs> know you needs to take a look inside themselves. Yeah, you couldn't have put that any better. And I'm sure you've heard of, you know, we talked about it before the interview, how the situation over here at the States, it's also turned on its head. And with the whole racial injustice, that's been pretty much, I mean, getting been getting worse. And who knows what's going to happen from here on out. But, uh, you know, Alan, I want to talk about you for a second, just real quick. You know, being away from the stage a lot as of late, and, you know, you're talking about nine months and then this whole craziness. How are you keeping up your vocals and like bass playing these days? Is that affecting your musicianship? Has anything changed for your routine wise lately, if at all? Oh, I mean, <clears throat> well, the thing about, you know, we have to say this, the thing about um, heavy metal, rock, and, you know, and goth and punk or whatever, whatever you want to say, a working band, once the artery of playing live is cut, then um, you've really... Uh, you know, like I said, cut a main artery to the scene. So you've also cut agency, purpose, identity, freedom of movement, travel. 
all of these things. So yeah, it's massively impacted all of us. I mean, I'm not even, I don't, I care less about the financial aspect than the human process. So um, yeah, the, 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 it's affected everyone. People are going through massive um, sloughs of despond. They're going through massive periods of depression and um, suicide is through the roof uh, in, yeah. in here. Um, more people died some weeks from killing themselves than from COVID here. Um, and, uh, you know, listen, it's, it's my, your, my small business essentially has been shut and closed, uh, even though it's been going for nearly 30 years. And so, yeah, it's a very strange situation. It's like something from science fiction novels I read as a kid. It's like something from, um, you know, a, a, a sort of Orwellian sci-fi um b b series from the last 10 years yeah we're just living it <laughs> here we are and um yeah it's um well my routine would have been to spend all summer going back and forth to play festivals in europe um touring uh, you know i i have to be doing something every three to six months or else i'm not a man who wants to sit at home and be a home bird um, has to be a new project, a new thing, a new tour, a new something every three to six months, or I literally go insane. So yeah, I've probably been going slowly insane. But um, to cope with that, um, got to go running, um, play sport, try and consider some stoic uh, attitudes towards life because you know it won't be doing, won't do you any good for the coming you know war against the bots if you're going to be a unhealthy wreck right <laughs> <laughs> you know you talked about touring uh just for a brief minute there and you know making the best of a situation is easier said than done man and we're, we're trying to do what we can i mean nine months into this you said three months every three months you have to stay busy doing something and we're nine months into this oh yeah and, and, it's, not, it's, not, and it's not going anywhere let's be clear about that oh yeah i mean I, and I think a lot of a lot of people are just in kind of in denial that it is yeah. the reality now You've been at this for over two decades, Alan, and whether it's with Dread Sovereign, from, yeah, twenty, yeah, 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 whether it's with Dread Sovereign, Primordial, Twilight of the Gods, Void of Silence, you sure. know, how is the touring life for you personally? Because you've done some extensive touring throughout your career. You played at Vakken, you know, Party Sand Open Air, Maryland Death Fest, Ragnarok. What was your favorite part about it? Because now you're kind of just taking, we're all taking like an unseen step back, and does it? make you have a growing appreciation of the touring life? Because we're talking, you know, culture, the bands, even the food. There's just so many things to pick apart about what makes touring amazing. What was your personal biggest takeaway from that? Um, well, look, being on stage is what defines me. It's where I find purpose, where I'm yeah. at rest, where I find peace, where I find a way of dealing with the demons, with everything else. And so without that, um, yeah, it's I, I never took it for granted. I'm not one of those people that didn't appreciate getting on a plane and going to South America. Um, I didn't do it for purely economic um, reasons. I always loved it. And in fact, you know, I always wanted to do more. It was just the circumstances of people's responsibilities in the modern age mean that being a professional musician is almost impossible. So everyone would have had another job and families and responsibilities, which meant you couldn't do everything that you wanted to, but you did enough. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 uh, it's also travel, it's adventure, it's movement. You know, writing a song is just like dropping a stone in a, a pool in that the ripples out from that are, 
you know, the, the crew, the lighting people, the stage technicians, the, the people driving the van, the catering people, the booking agents, um, everything that you, once you release that record or whatever you do, when you write that song has movement out from it. Uh, and that has been completely stopped. So, you know, for all the people who are, but a lot of people don't think about the musicians as only the tip of the iceberg because there is an entire, um, you know, ecosystem of people who rely on um, art, so to speak, or mm. entertainment or whatever you want to call it. There are, you know, venues and everything from people who book book tours and, you know, exhibitions, art exhibitions. I have friends who, you know, aren't able to stand on a stage, one of the oldest expressions known to man. You know, people gather around and I'll tell you a story, stand on a stage taken from them. Um, so, yeah, it's an incredibly anti-human time that, to me, at the, uh, you know, at the very least, um, you know, I would just ask people, do you think the reaction is proportionate or disproportionate? If you think it's proportionate, we don't have much to talk about. But if you think it's disproportionate, I'd just ask you why. And then take a step, a tiny bit, either side, and just look at things from a slightly different angle. And um, yeah, like I said, I don't think this is going anywhere. So um, we have to really, um, what art means, what being a musician means, what being creative means, we have to be, at least, you know, because this is my, you know, this is the, the culture I inhabit, we have to be very mindful of, because if we're all just going to be corralled into being content creators, um, I think in a couple of years, most of the bands that you like will all be gone. Um, mm -hmm. they, can't, they can't exist. I mean, personally, without the movement and travel and touring, and I mean, there's no reason for me to make another Dread Sovereign record. The band will just cease to exist. Um, there's no interview like this anymore because there's no point. There's no, mm. it, um, I don't, I'm, I will rather be a serial killer or a politician um, than be corralled into just being a square on a screen for the next couple of years. So uh, that's kind of how I <laughs> feel about it. Rock and metal is very traditional. And once you've severed the artery of touring, um, I mean, next year, maybe maybe small local bands will be able to do distance shows of 50 or 75 or huge bands who can circumvent the rules might do Vegas style residencies, but anybody who needs to get on a plane, pull five, four or 500 people um, or 200 people or whatever, I think they're going to be in trouble. Now I will caveat what I just said by saying, I hope to be wrong. I really hope to be wrong. I don't want to be the, I told you so guy. I really want to be the, ha ha, look at you, you fool guy. I really would, I really want to be that guy. Cause at the very least then I'm just wrong and can live with that or, you know, half wrong or two thirds wrong or whatever, you know, I can live with that fine. And I would say that my own pessimism is amplified by the situation that we're all in, just like everyone else. I'm human. So I'm coping with that um, circumstance as well. But at the same time, it does look like how it looks. I can't lie to myself and, you know, um, yeah, you don't want to pretend that the situation is going to change. You know, it's, I mean, well, you're being a realist. It's, it's, it's okay. If you're, here's the thing, being a pessimist, I don't blame you at all on all the th details that you just put out right now. I mean, I agree with everything. Like, who knows what the future holds? There's just so much uncertainty to the point where how can you be optimistic? You know, what about what about this is is going to make me feel good about what I can put out in the future? Yeah, I mean, look, let's be honest. It may be that people, poor people in the third world are going to be freer than people who are supposedly rich in the first world. Um, so, you know, maybe time is now is the time to up sticks and move to Chile or Paraguay or Senegal, <laughs> Senegal or Fiji or something um, where 
those countries are too, their economies can't be shut down in the same way ours can. Very true. But, That's a unique perspective to take on that. And also these countries are volatile. You, you try and shut down Algeria for another year or two, you're going to have trouble. Um, whereas people in Dublin just take it. And I think they're going to continue to just suck it up. So I, I don't know. I mean, look, I said, like I said, I hope to be, I hope to be at a festival in, I don't know, let's say a year's time and somebody poked me in the ribs and had me a beer and go, yep, see, you were too pessimistic about this. And I'll go, yep, well, okay, I can live with that. <laughs> I'll hold but, you to that if you come to Dallas. <laughs> yeah, sure. But I have a, I have a bad feeling. And like I said, I started doing a podcast when this whole thing started. Right. I'm, on, I'm, on episode 30, yeah, I'm on episode 36 now. And I said more or less what was going to happen in the first two or three. And it's exactly, pretty much exactly like how I thought it would pan out. All my and, friends went, oh, it's going to last a month or, oh, we'll be out in the summer. I was like, <laughs> not, I was like not a chance. Yeah. And, and for my listeners who don't know, you know, during this pandemic, you know, Alan said, you know, you started Agitators Anonymous, that podcast oh, yeah. that you just talked about. Well over yeah. 30 episodes, almost 75,000 listens. You know, congrats on those numbers. That's pretty awesome. And it's a mixture of tour stories, politics, the occult, dark humor, which I love, you know, history. But there's so much more to it, Alan. You have yeah. special guests. You dive into books and literature, events, writers. And, of course, you talk about metal. You yeah. know, what was the motivation behind starting something like this? Can it be as simple as being at just as a result of the pandemic? Yeah, it was either go insane or do this. <laughs> no, it's something I wanted to do for years. Uh, and I wanted to do it originally um, at festivals and speak to friends from bands and, like, say, just walk up to, I don't know, Nikon from Paradise Lost or Vorfalak from Samail and go, let's have a chat for 45 minutes, but about really off the wall or odd stuff. But, of course, I never quite got round to it. And then when this happened, I, I thought to myself, right, I need to, I need to get this off the ground. I need to start doing this. It's something that... I can focus on every week um, mm. and it, there's, you know, there's a form of exponential growth. So it's rewarding on that level, but also, you know, I'm getting, a, I'm getting a lot of, well, I'm getting a lot of listens, you know, hundreds every day, but also lots of messages from people going, thanks for doing this. It's, you know, it sounds all miss worldly, but it's helping me out um, get through this situation. You're talking about it honestly. And, Definitely. you know, from the hip or, you know, shooting from the hip, you know, which may come back to bite me um, in the future. Who knows? Um, once the bots have recalibrated our level of uh, our, you know, how much we owe in social currency um, for descent to the system. And that ain't a joke either. Um, so, well, kind of half a joke, you know, that's the dark humor we're talking. Right yeah, there. I like to poke <laughs> fun at my own reputation. So to, to people don't know when I'm being serious or not sometimes, but um, yeah, no, it's, it's, I do. I'm like today I released a, a, a video cast with a very great friend, uh, the comedian, Steve Hughes, brilliant to chat to him, a chat to enslaved souls to fear. There's more chats. And sometimes I'll do, like you said, a deep dive into like Alistair Crowley or something. And then other times I'll just ramble off the top of my head for 40, 50 minutes. Um, so yeah, it seems to be resonating with people. It, like it grows constantly. And, you know, my idea is I'm just going to keep doing it, you know, even if in a month they said, hey, everything's fine, I'll keep doing it, you know. And it's been a very, it's been worthwhile, although it's, at the end of the day, I will say it's still me speaking in an empty room into a microphone. So there's not much agency to it, but um, it is, it's some outlet for energy, restless energy and creativity, which is, is, is much needed in the, in the circumstance. 
Hey, I don't know. I was doing a podcast nine months ago, and here I am. I mean, I think I think you're one of my. You know, I'm close to 100 episodes. You know, so oh, yeah. Wow. And, and now it's it's. I'm learning so much more about myself as much as I'm learning about the artist. So I, I think that's that's my biggest takeaway. I don't know if you get the same thing when you have your guests. You know, you get to kind of just open up and just you know just shoot the shit. Like don't no like no restraints. Just speak your mind, whatever you can, because we're all going insane. Uh, yeah, that's I mean, to, you know. Yeah, I mean, we do have to be. I mean, personally, you know, you do have to be careful about what subjects and topics you broach and stuff like this, because we're living yeah, in a society, yeah, we are living in a society where somebody will take one sentence out of context and try and fucking ruin you. But, um, you know, so I'm mindful of that. But at the same time, um, I'm not doing it in order to make money from it. If I can get, you know, sponsors and make a little bit from it, great. And if it grows to the point where somebody goes, oh, we need, you know, we, we, what about this? If it doesn't compromise the integrity of the situation but it's more um a process for myself and maybe people feeling a bit um how should we say far from the shore in this mm. situation and so i and i i think that by when i last looked at it i had listeners in 40 countries wow that's that's awesome man i love yeah. that so on uh, lots of people messaging me from um you know fucking lots of quite uh curious places so that's great you know and also very oddly people who listen because they like the sound of my voice they don't know what i'm talking about i don't blame them <laughs> they like they kind of like this they go oh you sound like dylan moran and they like the way irish people talk okay fine that's all right yeah but, you uh, gotta check mark all the boxes as far as that is concerned. <laughs> yeah so no it's it's it is a positive thing and if i said and as i said if in six months time or a year's time we have some sense of normality back and I have this out of the process, then I might, you know, I might think, Oh, well, okay. Yeah. I, I just added another string to the bow. Um, yeah. You, you put a product out there for, you know, the listeners, you know, during a time where there's not much to put out and you're no, currently doing that. Yeah. And very specifically, I did think about this. There's very few podcasts which are done by Europeans. Um, okay. and also, and also by band members speaking specifically about, tour stories or well, all the things I'm talking about. And there's very few that have any dark kind of wit or humor to them. Most podcasts are by and large done by Americans. And I thought to myself, well, there's space here for a, a different voice. Um, uh, you know, case in point, that, why they love to hear your voice so much. <laughs> yeah. There's space here for a voice that isn't from the Pacific Northwest. Isn't, <laughs> what, isn't, you know, isn't whatever else. Um, and is a band member with, 30 years of stupid stories to tell and um, like a lot of people expected it to be a bit more serious and political and they didn't expect me to do like you know kind of like old my alter ego victor's 12 <laughs> rules for life and you know dublinistan and um you know or tell stories about drugs or you know that kind of thing they didn't expect that stuff at all but uh, you know i mean it's a ramble through the through my gray matter and so um if people want in, they want in. <laughs> and if if not, that's okay, you know. But it keeps me it keeps me sane. So yeah, and that, that, that and running, and uh, you know, so yeah, and you know, speaking of keeping you sane, you know, listen, uh, I'll promise we'll talk about that album right now, Alchemical Warfare. We touch on everything except this, but uh, it comes out January fifteenth on Metal Blade Records. It's a great. It's going to be a good, refreshing start to the year with music from Dread Sovereign. You know, I mean, who knows what happens? Like like we said happens next year but the third album comes out january 15th you know when i heard it 
from A Curse of Man to The Great Beast We Serve to Devil's Bane, that might be my favorite track, to You Don't Move Me. You know, I heard, and I've heard this uh, thematic elements throughout, like the listeners who've actually got a chance to hear it, Motorhead, Tank, Venom, Carnivore, yeah. Hellhammer, Hawkwind. It was so raw. It was it was more, more dirtier and older sounding than their uh, typical primordial stuff, which I love. Oh, yeah, you know, for sure. Yeah, there was so much structure, a lot of tone. It felt like you were paying homage to those aforementioned bands. Now, when did production start for you specifically for Alchemical Warfare? Was it before COVID even existed? Or was it something that was completed during the pandemic? No, was- no, no I, 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 we haven't done anything in the pandemic. I mean, um, and I refused to release the album this year. But no, the album was made last year. Um, okay. Yeah, the thing about Dress Sovereign is that it is three you know, three Dublin lads with chemistry um, who've done tours together, who, you know, fucking enjoy hanging out together, who have a great energy. And it's just about writing, you know, rock and roll, writing heavy metal tunes, writing um, something that has a a vitality to it and energy to it. But I'm very specific about the tone and the things that I want. Dread Sovereign Mm. is tuned a bit lower than Primordial. But with Dread Sovereign, I have a very, very specific idea of this loose, reckless, dirty, filthy tone, but yet that is very precise in its sort of dynamic intent. And um, to me, all the best heavy metal records are made between the sonically between 1972, three, and let's say 1986, 87, but more specifically 83, 84. So you don't get a better sound drum sound than, um, you know, stay clean by Motorhead as far as I'm concerned. So there's no file trading. There's no cutting and pasting. There's no metronome. There's no click track. There's no, remote this blah 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 you meet you rehearse in the room write the songs go to the studio play live in a room belt it out um noise um blood thunder sweat swearing um whatever else and it's an old school heavy metal record done by somebody made by somebody who understands old school heavy metal it's not made by somebody who was not there at the time so on those terms um yeah it's supposed to have that instant blood and thunder feel which was was the original blueprint of the reasons why i liked all those old heavy metal listen to hail to england by manor or something and it, it just sounds like the, the the vibrancy the energy is off the charts now you can listen and go i don't like the pay, bass drum sound or whatever because it doesn't sound like meshuggah or something or whatever but it's, <laughs> yeah it's so not, so not the point and um, the record was made in you know a couple of days and you bang it out and go and i think that people are so caught up in wanting to make the human process machine-like that that many records i mean i'm just not interested in um most um most modern definitely mainstream heavy metal you know i think i think there's great music being made in the underground or in underground black metal or underground doom metal scenes there's there's so many good bands out there um but mainstream stuff ah i don't know look whatever but so dread sovereign is you know, it's 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 not going to fucking change the world. It wasn't my intention. It wasn't even my intention to make it original. If it sounds original, it's by accident. Um, but it's got a thing, and it sounds vital. It's got some energy. It's got some fucking. It's got some foot stomping and some. You know. Um, yeah, there's just so much authenticity to your sound. That's what I got from it. Yeah, well, that's because yeah. the three lads making it are just authentic lads. We're yeah. just fucking dudes who, you know, but we, you know, still. Dread Sovereign has done 20, 30-day tours in the back of a van around Europe, sleeping on people's floors, playing in bars to 50 people, squeezed into a basement 
playing in squats for you know for no money with fucking to an audience of punks or whatever we we don't we we have a sort of attitude like and we don't give a fuck kind of attitude um and so for me after all the years in promoting where you're used to you know tour bus and big venues and lots of people in europe um it was a challenge to go back to do all that stuff i used i would have done 20 25 years ago but it's great it's good it's it's good to be re-educated and challenged again and not just live in your comfort zone so the idea of standing on a stage to 50 people in a basement in some city and they're going what the fuck are you doing here why would you do this you're in primordial or you've got this other yeah well you have to right i'm, I'm not i can't sit around and, <laughs> and do nothing you know so um yeah I, it's it's dreads Hovren has a kind of reckless intensity uh which I, I think reflects the three people in the band and so on those terms yeah it's for people for people who like some as you said some old new Irish heavy metal tank motorhead venom vibes yeah i think you're, i think you're gonna like it you know everything you're telling me it it's what it's saying to me is that dread sovereign now correct me if i'm wrong I, I feel like dread sovereign allowed you to tap into another dimension of yourself that you may have not been able to reach before is that correct yeah being a bad bass player but, <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah but yeah it, it goes hand in hand everything that you're saying so yeah no i mean dread sovereign think about dread sovereign is like like primordial is uh, an institution it's been going for 30 years. Um, it's it's an institutional part of our life. It's got a whole bunch of grumpy old tyrants in it who, uh, you know, are all, we are all pushing in the same direction, but we all know each other for a long time and there's compromises between our view of things. And But at the same time, we've, you know, we've built this thing over many, many years. Dread Sovereign is kind of like, um, like I said, it's got a sort of reckless sort of, more youthful kind of energy to it. It's also me writing two thirds of the songs, maybe. So I'm, I'm, I don't do that in Primordial. I mean, you know, you structure and you write lyrics, but I don't go into Primordial. Go, hey, learn my crappy bass lines. Um, <laughs> but Dread Sovereign is, um, that's what that's about. And I'm in charge of the aesthetic, maybe, and the tone. So I can, I, I, I'm sort of it rises or falls on my shoulders, so to speak. And that's great because it's too easy to be in your comfort zone you know when you get to a certain age so it was good to kind of go right i need to you know the fear first of all of playing a gig when you haven't not used to playing the bass and singing and you're not great and when you're used to playing in front of 500 people and 50 people with their arms folded going what the fuck is going on but after five or six gigs you're like oh right i got it i'm in i'm in, I, i'm dialed yeah. in now and um yeah it's just also about enthusiasm energy reckless this reckless energy and the reckless spirit of old heavy metal which is is kind of feels gone to me sometimes, you know, and that that old kind of um, devil may care attitude, and that really kind of sums up what Dread Sovereign is. I think that sort of devil may care spirit, and also it's it's just between the three of us, just a lot of fun. That we're just three yeah. three dudes who make each other laugh and are very different characters, and who all understand what rock and roll actually is. Alan, we talked about the sound, you know, whether it's with Dread Sovereign or Primordial, like the sound you guys just put out. We talked about all these bands that you guys are technically paying homage to. But, you know, you guys are also known for your nihilistic, you know, not giving a fuck attitude. You guys also have history tones in there. But I want to ask, you know, to what level do you like to have a theme for your records and how important are themes to you? Is that more about helping you guys write? or sound or is that more for the audience because a lot of artists they don't really care about themes they just do tang songs on the studio and that's about it but i felt like with dread sovereign there's a specific 
dilemma you wanted to reach with that? Um, well, I mean, we have to make the division clear. Primordial is different from Dread Sovereign in that Primordial has a cultural historical uh, weight to it. Um, okay. A very, a very uh, specific, serious kind of tome uh, to proceedings. And that is, you know, something, there is something to say within Primordial. Um, you know, it's not my, it's not my, you know, um, I suppose my soapbox or anything. I don't mean it like that. But I mean, Primordial stands for something quite serious culturally, historically. And so Dread Sovereign is gone off completely in a different direction. Um, it's still not fantasy, but there is a sort of dark um, gallows humor. There's sort of a dark take on historical occultism to it. All very real, but I get to play play around with the with things in the old syntax, the old language of heavy metal, and you know, this to dress it up in that Manila Road, Sirithungal's kind of. Yeah, okay. old school heavy metal vibe. But at the same time, like if you look at the cover, you'll see the three characters in the cover are laboratory assistants to Isaac Newton. And so Isaac Newton was obsessed with the with alchemy. So and I'm kind of very interested in that as well. So the concept of the separation of science and magic, the alchemical process towards spiritual awakening is a sort of tongue in how we say a sort of blackly humorous um, reflection on modern society, but Dread Sovereign is not really, it doesn't really have that thing to say about it. Some of the songs are like, she, you know, She Wolves of the Savage Season is just my homage to, you know, uh, strong women, strong-willed women in the metal scene or in, in any underground subcultural scene. And I, you know, I just wrote this song. I was like, okay, I want this song to be the song when they hear, they go, fuck yes, here's my fucking song. Um, and sing the chorus. And it's just about, yeah, it's just like my sort of, black metal homage to uh, strong-willed women, you know, and so therefore, and, but then you get her master's voice. Uh, a friend of mine who isn't into heavy metal, we we're listening to heavy metal, and she said to me, how, why is Iron Maiden so sexless? I said, that's very interesting. That's a very <laughs> okay. interesting thing to say. And then she heard Judas Priest and Motorhead, and she's like, no, this has sex in it. I said, okay. So we're talking about that, um, you know, prog and technical stuff. Um, so she just said to me on the new Dread Sovereign, you, my, you're, I, uh, I'll set you a, a bet. Can you, can you write a sexy song? I said, okay, that's a strange sentence. So her master's voice is my attempt at a bit of, you know, kind of Danzig sort of um, something a bit like that, which has a sort of blackly tongue in cheek look at, you know, male and female sexuality to it um, with it, uh, you know, with a little bit pinched off Leonard Skinner and Uriah Heep. Um, so the songs aren't about nothing. But they're definitely um, they're they're free of some of the weight that goes with primordial. Like primordial are lyrics that you have to pour over every, you know. I write them in the same way, obviously, but you have to really pour over the meanings because that's what it means to people. Um, so you don't you don't approach primordial in a offhand frivolous manner. It's it's serious business. Whereas dread sovereign is. Um, you know, let's get the fucking booze in, let's get the lines in, let's fucking rehearse, let's make some noise, let's play fucking Iron Fist by Motorhead and get wasted and get in the back of the van and play in a small bar and blow everyone's head off. And yeah, I'm being obviously melodramatic, you know, kind of like hyperbolic there, but you know, they're two different things. And so, um, Dread Sovereign is more like the slightly more reckless devil may care side to the side of me. Um, and, you know, which is facilitated by the two guys I play in the band with. So, um, and it just so happens that 
people seem to like the record. So I'm here talking about it. It's winning sound checks and getting great reviews. And it's like, oh, okay, well, there's a, there's a surprise. <laughs> um, so, yeah, you know, now as long as we can get out and play it to some people, then that would be the, um, you know, the the final nail in the coffin of, of, yeah. of, of your intent. Yeah, I see. I see where you're going with that because there have been artists that I have interviewed who said an album doesn't feel complete until you get to actually present it to the fans. I don't know if you feel the same way. Yeah, I mean, look, let's be straight about it. The artery of heavy metal and rock is playing live. Take it away, and it's kind of meaningless. And I don't Very just mean I, I don't just mean financially. I mean playing live, standing on the stage. It's the identity, purpose. It's the beating heart of heavy metal, and without it. It's kind of pointless. I mean, there, you know, if there's no playing live again, there won't be another Dread Sovereign record. That's for sure. There's no point. Mm. And what would be the point in doing it to just be, um, you know, to Skype people and just then be a statistician watching numbers go up and down? It's not why I started a band. It's not why I started playing music. So if that's the future, then, you know, then there won't be a future of making heavy metal for me, most likely. Um, or it'll just go in the deep freeze till we can take it out. But certainly I'm not going to rush out like five records next year because I'm that have that much time on my hands. You know, uh, I, I've always done projects and other things, but uh, yeah, I mean, that's the truth of it. The truth of it is, is that heavy metal is an old fashioned rock and roll art form in that sense. It relies on that transfer of energy between the people in the room and the band on the stage. And if you take that away, I think it ceases to have meaning for the greater part. And yeah. I think I think if touring doesn't come back, most bands, you'll see, well, they might make one more record, but you're not gonna get more Marduk or more Rotting Christ records or Vader or Paradise Lost or whatever, slowly but surely, if those, it, I mean, I can't speak for them, but um, there won't be a point of making a music that's made for playing live. I could understand for like some, um, you know, luxury hermit, um, uh, you know, electronic record, uh, electronic producer who's just making stuff on a screen anyway and playing live isn't really what that music is about. I can understand that. Or I can understand maybe hip hop where the live shows are going to be, you know, in the middle of a game or something like whatever that means. Um, okay. <laughs> or, or people who are happy to, um, you know, to just do those, I don't know what you call it playthroughs online where everybody's in a different square celebrity squares or whatever it is um but ultimately they can't make anybody really really happy um so i mean like i said if we're all being corralled into just being content creators then i think an awful lot of people are just gonna disappear so i, I i've been advising people to really consider what well amongst many things look people have lots of worries but at least to consider what art and expression means um, because, like I said, in Ireland, no one stood on a stage for nine months, whether that's comedy, theatre, anything. The state has given absolutely nothing to the people. Nothing in an, any attempt yeah. to give them any form of humanity back. Nothing. They've opened shops, big shops, multinational chain shops, and shut small businesses. But look, um, so they're certainly not going to let uh, people enjoy a band, um, at least not a small band. Yeah. So. Um, you know, we, we need to consider this brave new world we're being funneled and corralled into. And if people really, um, you know, there's going to be a moment where people are going to have to just, just basically say, look, this is not 
this is not the life that we've, this remote anti-human future is not the thing that we want to inherit. For, now, you, I, for now, I don't see any, well, you know, we'll see what happens, I guess. Yeah, I yeah. Uh, again, I, again, I could be, listen, I could be wrong. And I wish to, I hope to be the guy where people go, look, ah, oh, you see, you were so fucking pessimistic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, I know. I went. First mad. off, Alan, Alan, it's t dude. Just say whatever the fuck you want to say, man. If you're wrong, fine, you're wrong. You don't even have to explain yourself as far as that's concerned. <laughs> of course, and of course, we know what people think. Oh, okay, you. Sure, I guess. This, I guess this I'm, offended I'm, me. You shouldn't have said this. Like, no, this no, is what I, it's supposed I, to be. I am mindful of. I am mindful of um, the fact that people do cut things out of interviews and turn them into whatever, propagandize them for their own side. So very often, um, you know, it's this not that I, one of them. <laughs> no, no, not, not you. No, 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 I'm I get not, it. <laughs> it's, it's not that I'm second guessing my own thoughts, but look, I've been doing interviews for 30 years and you, so you do have to caveat things. Of course, um, of course. But uh, yeah, I mean, look, it's, people are going to have to make some sort of decision at some stage about, uh, is this the future that they want to inherit? Because, well, the, the future they thought they might inherit in some sort of dystopian way, it's they're living in it right now. Okay, so it's, it's pretty boring, it's pretty dull, but um, a form of it is here. And so um, as somebody who's traveled around the world a lot and been to lots of countries who have authoritarian pasts, um, the idea that it, it can't happen here or a form of it can't happen here is... Um, such a misreading of human nature and such a misreading of the intentions of power. People say to me, well, to what ends? And I go, controlling you is, is enough. That's, that's an end in itself. And they go, what do you mean? Right. I said, well, the nature of power is that it, it seeks to accumulate more power. And so a digitally micromanaged, um, you know, society, which controls your uh, movement, I mean that's that's enough. I mean, and it it will ha it has its own benefits in twenty, twenty five, thirty, thirty five years that maybe you don't see now. So look, I mean, these are things that I've been thinking about for decades. So for me, I had no faith in any of the institutions to lose, which is places me in a different position to many other people. Many other people can't live without some blind faith because life would be too dark, and so um, I understand that. Because then you're 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 drifting far from the shore and you're in deep deep waters, and you have no paddle, and it's that's a fucking scary place to be for most people, which I completely understand. But yet at the same time, um, if you don't open a small percentage of your critical and rational thinking to some of the things that you that you know you see, um, you know, and kind of try to step over this this cognitive dissonance that's going on. Uh, and you know, make rational decisions based on what you see. Um, I think we're in trouble unless people begin to do that. But like I said, I had I had no faith in the institutions of the state to begin with to lose. So um, we, I'm 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 on a different footing than most people who can't quite believe that um, what's happening could be happening. But you know, never put down to malice what you can to incompetence. So, you know, it could just be a botched response from a, from a rotten system um, that's now being framed by political cowardice and an unwilling to accept personal jeopardy. Uh, so if it's that, then, you know, if it's that or just a money grab by Big Pharma, then we are, um, we're lucky. Man, that's been, that's been a very, uh, a common theme that I've been hearing around, you know, for the last, 
I mean, the last nine months, big pharma, that's been the, the common theme. Like, who knows? Like, it's just so much information being thrown on us left and right. I don't even know what to believe anymore. Well, I mean, look, didn't big pharma cause the opioid crisis, which is probably in your city? Ah, there you go. Uh, yeah. yeah, that's, you kind of nailed it on the head right there. There's your answer. And there's your reason to be skeptical about the process. I felt like I just got a glimpse of Agitators Anonymous. Am I am I not correct about that? <laughs> yeah, that's kind of what it's about. You know, I mean, it, it'll be shot through with stories about falling around, um, being an idiot, having guns put to my head. Um, I, you know, like, um, I'm not trying to preach. I, no, I think, that's okay. I just, that I just think that there are, there are very simple questions. Like, I, I've been saying this question to people. Um, because these are things, look, I have a lot of time on my hand. I, I, you know, one of my friends said to me, he goes, Alan, look, if I stood where you stood, I have three kids. I can't be a good dad. I can't think about this shit. And I go, that's a fucking brilliant answer. You're so right. Bring up your mm. kids right and let me do the worrying for you. But maybe every now and again, just just have a think about it. But, yeah. I, but I, I say, I've been saying to people in the history of any nation, city, any nation, city, state, uh, whatever you want to call it, um, Tell me one example of when the citizens of that city or state handed over all of these freedoms and got them back in the same um, circumstance that they handed them over. Tell me one. Tell me one example where everyone handed over all of these freedoms and they weren't taken democratically, and we all got them back, um, or citizens got them back because there isn't one. There's not yeah. one. And do people need to just dwell, just dwell on that question for a moment. Like, I, I, I don't, I mean, whether it's 15th century serfs, whether it's, um, I don't know, people in Myanmar in the 1920s, or whether it's Cambodia in 1972, or whether it's, you know, it's um, many, many examples. Whether it's Chile and under when, Pinochet strode through the door, whatever. You don't get these things back. That's not that's not how it works. Um, that's not how the nature of power and politics, um, which is lashed to the you know the hood of economics, works. And so, the idea that people are somehow so naive that they can't even—that's lost on me a little bit. Um, but I do understand that once you're once you've waded out into very deep waters. It can seem like the, you're too far from the shore, which I totally understand. And like I said, um, then my, the nature of my personality is, is to err on the side of um, brutal pessimism. So um, again, these are the things I see anyway. Um, so somebody saying to me something benign or positive or, oh, well, look, that could just be that. That's not where my mind goes immediately. Like as soon as there was the first lockdown, the f as soon as it was announced, my first instant thought was biometric passports. Um, oh, man. Yeah. Instantly. That was my instant first thought within, oh, right. Okay, so this is the imposition of a biometric health passport linked to your, um, your uh, you know, movement as a citizen. It, I wasn't even thinking of, I suppose, the human process, so to speak. Um, no, that's not the right expression. I wasn't really thinking about, well, maybe the things other people were thinking of. I don't know. Uh, and so here we are on the cusp of that. And so, uh, yeah, like I said in the first two, three weeks, this is what's going to happen. And my friends were like, no, no, we'll be all back out in the summer. And 
Oh, no, come on. You know, it's a month, maybe. I, yeah, I got the same thing. I got the same thing from peers telling me, yeah, it'll be better by May. Oh, yeah. okay. Well, That's I said good. within a month, I was like, oh, this is the era of the war on pandemics. Get ready. And they were like, what are you talking about? And I said, <laughs> now, nine months later, I say to my friends, do you think there will be a moment where you go back to zero? Now, I've been doing this thing where I, I emotionally manipulate them by singing George Michael at them, which I'm not going to do to you. <laughs> But I sing, um, you know, careless, oh whisper, careless whisper, you know, like, are you ever going to dance again, etc. And so uh, basically, there ain't no dancing with strangers unless you get to zero. Um, there ain't, you're not going to a football match with your dad. You're, there ain't no yoga, yoga mornings for your mom. Um, you're not going to that book exhibition. You're not uh, all these human processes. You're not hugging the person next to you when your favorite musician comes on stage at a festival. Um, I could give you 20, 30 examples of the things that you're not doing unless it goes back to zero. And then I, uh, you know, honestly ask people, do you think it will go back to zero? And even my most optimistic friends grit, grin their teeth and go, I don't think so. And I go, mm -hmm. okay. Yeah. Okay. My work as the harbinger of doom is done. <laughs> <laughs> Man, now, now you're teasing that George Michael. I'm like, gosh, we're going to have to, we're going to yeah. do something about that going forward. Man, Alan, this is hey, let me tell you what. You come to Dallas, let me buy you a beer, seeing George Michael. We're, we're going to have a blast, hopefully. No problem. Again, 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 we talked about this. You know, sure. Hopefully we're wrong. Let's see what yep. the fuck happens uh, down the road. But uh, this has been quite the honor. I really enjoy this conversation. Man, I might have... I might just be a guest on your show at this point, you know, whenever yeah. that comes around. <laughs> but yep. everyone, yeah. Uh, do you have any like last shout outs, anything you want to plug, anything you want to mention to my listeners or even your fans who are listening? No, not at all. Just, um, I mean, look, just, uh, it sounds patronizing to say, but just, it's a very simple question. Do, do you think things are what they seem to be? And if not, why not? Mm maybe spare a thought for that. And I mean, look, also, I think people need to maybe um, think about if you're from a small, medium sized or well, any, I suppose any city or town, maybe your local metal bar, punk bar, goth bar, if you have one or whatever it is it, it they're going to be fucking suffering. So if we do get live shows back, um, don't be one of those people who talk about how much you miss them, but then don't go to them if they come back or one of those people who never went to them anyway, and then talk about how much you miss them. Go to the fucking show. Um, because yeah. because you, subcultures are not going to survive this unless um, people actually, you know, party like it's 1999. So on that note. I mean, I wish it was 1999. And <laughs> that, would, that would be the icing on the right. cake right there. All right, man. Yeah, I appreciate you. And everyone who's listening, uh, this is uh, Alan from Dread Sovereign. Alchemical Warfare comes out January 15, 2021 on Metal Blade Records. Alan, let's stay in touch, and I'll see All you right, in the States whenever that time comes, man. Hey guys, thanks for listening to Interview Under Fire podcast. If you guys liked what you heard, please subscribe and share our channel. And please leave a five-star review as that helps us tremendously. And also, if you guys have any questions or comments, you can find us at Interview Under Fire at Facebook or at Instagram. 
Or you can write us directly at schwag at interviewunderfire.com. That's S-C-H-W-A-G at interviewunderfire.com. Or Rezablade, that's R-E-Z-A-B-L-A-D-E at interviewunderfire.com.